Hi, I'm Dr Liz Whiting. So I'm a general physician and geriatrician at the Prince Charles Hospital. I'm also, my substantive position is the executive director of clinical services in Metro North Hospital and Health Service, but I'm here in the reform office in Charlotte Street since February. Liz, thank you very much for talking with the Senate today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Liz, you were born in Ireland, one of five children, and you studied medicine in Ireland. What inspired you to become a medical doctor? Oh, gosh. It's hard to remember a moment. Um, All I remember is I always wanted to be a doctor. I do know my own mother was very supportive of that career choice, and I think she saw a very open career where there's lots of opportunities you know, able to work across the the world, able to fit it in with whatever lifestyle you want, and there's so many different facets to medicine. So it was a, it turned out to be a great choice for me, and um, I'm very happy to have had her support and my father's support as well. So because you were, as I said, one of five, but. You had brothers, didn't you? So you were the only girl of, yeah. of, of five. Yes, all my brothers were uh, became doctors as well. So, Is that right? Yes. All five. Yeah, yeah. And were there other generations of medical doctors? Uh, my mum was a nurse, so yeah. um, that was our only medical connection. I think probably influencing me at the time as well was my older brothers had chosen a a medical career and so I could see myself following that. So it's been lovely actually to have that support in the family of us all being able to talk medicine and even though my husband is not a a doctor, we've got that connection across the family so that's lovely too. Then you went on to study geriatrics as your specialty. Why geriatrics? I definitely wanted to be a physician so, you know, not a surgeon or definitely a physician and um, I loved all the different specialties that I tried. But when I think about geriatric medicine, um, what really drew me was, first of all, the patients. Uh, They have, you know, amazing life experiences. There are always uh, so many interesting people to talk to day to day when you're doing ward rounds. So I love the people, um, but I also love the medicine. Uh, I think I've always been drawn to that sort of complexity. Nothing straightforward. There's so many things to consider. And when I think about my career, you know, even my leadership positions, it's always that enjoying the challenges of things not being clear A to B solution. It's, It's really trying to understand things holistically and trying to uh, work out priorities and a way forward. So geriatric medicine is really like that. And I think probably the other thing that really drew me to it was the teamwork. I've always loved working with people and uh, geriatric medicine really is a specialty where you absolutely have to have a, a multidisciplinary team that are you know working very well together and really sort of surrounding the, the patient and ensuring that you're providing that patient-centred care and listening to what they want. So it ticked all the boxes for me. And at what stage in your career did you come to Australia? Oh, right after my intern year, actually. So I trained in Dublin and did my intern year. It was at the time before the big economic uh, lift. And so there was very few doctors um, or opportunities for um, jobs in Ireland, certainly as a junior doctor. And like many Irish junior doctors, I decided to head off to Australia. And I went from those awful working hours to Cairns, actually, and found myself working much better conditions. And also it was so laid back. Ireland is, uh, or Dublin was very formal and very hierarchical. And I ended up in Cairns and it was really, relaxed and the consultants were so friendly and supportive and I thought oh, I love this place so I never never looked back. My husband and I settled in Brisbane and uh, we stayed ever since. So I did my uh, geriatrics training in Brisbane and as I say have stayed, have worked at the Prince Charles Hospital for the last oh, nearly 30 years. So I loved Prince Charles. At the time actually there was very few geriatricians in Brisbane or Queensland so I had trained at the Royal and PA Prince Charles and had done some stints, you know, in other parts of Queensland. And Prince Charles was 
a good blend of a tertiary hospital with all the high you know high end specialties and but at the same time it was relatively small and it was a really friendly place uh, you knew the switch ladies by name the consultants again were really friendly and supportive and so at the time when the there were a number of jobs came out but I really wanted to work at Prince Charles and so uh, I was very fortunate to get a job there and had really supportive consultants as well as a junior I had trained there and then became a consultant and so again it was a, um, a really good team and the medical consultant group were really supportive of a young mum as I was at the time and that was really important to me. So In the early days in your career it sounded like an incredible juggle as you've alluded to <laughs> uh, becoming a mum for the first time while studying and then eventually juggling a very demanding job and training with then what became five children, five daughters. Correct, yes. Do you look back and wonder how you managed it all and has that experience helped you in your medical career? I absolutely wonder how I survived. (laughs) (laughs) I never set out to have five children, that's for sure, and definitely not before I'd even sat my physician's exams. I mean, that was really doing it the hard way, but I wouldn't change a thing, of course. Five children has added a certain amount of busyness to my life, but it's been great fun. And uh, as you say, it has impacted on my medical career. I had I had to make choices in terms of, you know, further studies, travel abroad, doing that sort of thing. So I had to make sure I hit the right life balance for me. So I continued to work full time, had my five children, had a really supportive husband and managed to get through it all. And maybe having five children also added that complexity to my own life and sort of working my way through that and prioritising things and really sort of moving quickly, making decisions quickly, uh, all of that stuff to get through every day. It certainly, I think, allowed me to cope with a lot of stress and having a family to go home to meant I had to switch off at the end of the day. And that's probably a good thing in terms of preservation. Because it's not always an easy thing to do, though, is it? Not at all. But there was no choice. You you got home, had to cook dinner, do homework, bath time, bedtime. And so there was no thinking about work. You just had to move into mother mode. And I think that's a a really good thing in in a career like medicine to be able to switch off um, as soon as you walk in the door. Looking back over your career, how has healthcare change as technology and medicine advances? It's certainly changed in geriatric medicine. We all talk about the ageing population and I've really seen that in real life. Hospitals now, certainly the number of patients who are in that older category has really escalated over the years. And I think um, although we're talking about ageing population and we think about older people with lots of accumulated chronic diseases, it's also um, introduced the concept of frailty. So, you know, older people who some age really well and very robust and independent and others age not so well and are more frail and dependent. And so the hospital and the care that we provide has had to adapt to that frailty over the years and I think that's been a challenge for the hospitals because obviously we now in in modern medicine you know we have to move quickly move patients through the wards we have to think about discharging patients who have complex care needs and how we do that into the community so all of that has really changed but also technology has changed and the treatments that are available has changed and the way that we view older people has changed it used to be 65 and over, you didn't get dialysis, you didn't go to ICU, whereas now 65 is young. And so we no longer use age cutoffs for access to services. So quite elderly people are still 
on dialysis or having surgeries and ending up in ICU. And also, the you know, the technology. There are things we can do now that um, we can do percutaneous valve replacements in 90-something-year-olds. And, you know, who would have thought years ago that we would be doing that? So technology has definitely changed even for older people. Perhaps some nihilism that we had in those early days is now gone and really we're focused on making sure we know what the goals of the patient are but providing medical care that really adds to quality of life as well as quantity of life and so modern medicine has come a long way in delivering that for older people. Liz what's it been like for you as a geriatrician working with the most vulnerable through the COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, that's a good question. It's probably changed, you know, over the, the couple of years that we've had COVID. So initially, um, Queensland was so good at keeping COVID out of the state. And so the hospitals sort of really restricted access. And we saw a drop in the number of people attending hospital. It was actually a quiet time, uh, even though we were very busy with, uh, you know, all of those initials setting up our COVID plans, etc. And then the hospitals opened up again to patients, but not to visitors. And so that had a big impact on older people, particularly those with cognitive deficits, you know, are prone to confusion. But also for the families, you know, they, it was very difficult, I think, for families when they weren't able to be in the hospital and talk to the clinical team. And so it was quite isolating for older people and that didn't feel right. And we, we did try and make lots of phone calls to families and keep people in the loop, but inevitably um, it wasn't as it wasn't the sort of medicine that we like to provide. And I think then as COVID actually came, and hit Queensland um, then we started looking after older people with COVID and that was very challenging in that um, obviously as part of that treatment they we need to isolate people and so particularly again for frail older people and those with cognitive problems isolated in a room with very limited access um, in terms of the clinical staff let alone their family that was that's not good care and I think that really was detrimental to to some outcomes and of course we then saw fail older people who are dying from COVID it's quite distressing to see that and more recently now I've seen I've had some older patients dying with influenza so it has actually over the couple of years we've had all these different phases uh, and it's been interesting to see how we adapt but we're certainly now COVID is amongst us and it's business as usual and you're definitely going to be seeing older people people in hospital with COVID. Now Liz, talking of juggling, earlier this year you were appointed to the role of clinical lead for Queensland Health's reform project. Why did you take on this role? I don't know why other than, as I said, throughout my career I've really enjoyed challenges and challenges where it's really complex and you have no idea what's going to come out the other end. Uh, and I, I must confess I was sort of thinking maybe I was in... Um, you know, my final job and I was comfortable and I had some confidence that I knew what I was doing. And then this opportunity came along and I was so excited. <laughs> and as I really grasped the opportunity to come in and it's what a privilege to be able to think about the whole health system and think about, um, you know, with all of the experiences I've had over time to be able to influence, you know, at a system level, what good health care might be. And I, I think it's the timing is absolutely right in Queensland. We We've seen all of these changes, the population changes as well as with COVID and um, there's clearly a big opportunity for us to connect 
better across the whole system and provide better care. So the challenge, the excitement of doing something, you know, really interesting and hopefully having an impact overall for good care for Queenslanders. And I say juggle there because you're still doing your clinical role at Prince Charles. So you're sort of sharing your time between? Yeah, I don't think I'll ever give up my clinical role. I love it too much. Um, I love interacting with patients and it does, it is a a reminder every time you do a ward round about what this is all about. Uh, And I think that grounding is really important when you, when you try and think about system reform, Um, you have to remember why you're doing it. And that's the big why. So Liz, what does your job involve? Right now it's about listening. I think when you're thinking about system reform, uh, you have to consider all of the things that have led to this point, why the system looks like it does and what are the real challenges in our system now. And if I as an individual thought that I had all the answers, then that would be for sure the wrong approach. So with the whole of the team, we've taken a very deliberate approach to not coming up with the answers, but really trying to explore through talking to as many on the ground clinicians, non-clinicians, as well as the leadership team here in the department and the leadership teams in the HHSs and broadly, you know, primary care, the residential sector, etc. There's so many views and so many players in this complex system. So we're listening. And through that, then we hope that we'll be able to theme up some concepts around and approaches that will really uh, attack those problems that we can see in our system now. So hopefully towards the end of the year, we'll have a really robust plan that will take us forward. And I think that by the end of the year with that plan, that might be the easy bit. I think the really challenging bit will be the implementation. We'll be actually doing something. Liz, at the recent Queensland Clinical Senate meeting titled Reimagining Healthcare, you spoke beautifully about a number of patient situations that really highlight the difficult decisions that clinicians make every day and the need for decisions to be made individually for each patient, not based on someone's age. Why is this important in the reform work that you're doing? Well, I think there's so much complexity in every decision you make. When I reflect again back on my early career, there were limited options and there were some very hard and fast rules around age, etc. And now it's almost limitless. And so you really, when you try and think about what is the contemporary approach to this particular condition and what does it mean for this individual and what will the outcome be and what's the return on investment when you're thinking financially, there's so many things to consider. So I think it's really important to make sure that you take it from a patient perspective and that we maintain our world-class reputation in delivering health care, but we do it in a way that we ensure that the next patient and the next generation are also able to avail themselves of good health care and good outcomes. One of the stories that you told and you alluded to before was about a 90-something-year-old beautiful lady who'd had a procedure that in the past might have been ruled out purely based on her age, but when you met her and saw that you know, still living independently, that that was a right decision. And it it does really come down to each person and not just putting everyone in a particular age bracket, doesn't it? Absolutely. So it was a a patient that I'd seen that weekend. uh, She's 98 years old. So she'd had what's called a TAVI, which is where you put in a new valve in the heart um, percutaneously and quite an expensive um, intervention as well as invasive for an elderly lady. And so you think at the age of 98, well, you know, surely that's more dangerous than it is beneficial and surely um, we should be thinking about end of life at that point and you know not 
going in with major interventions. But then when I went to see her, she, as you say, she was fabulous. She's this amazing, independent, 98-year-old woman. She had her daughter, her granddaughter and her adult great-granddaughter sitting at the bedside who were so supportive of her, but she absolutely didn't want to be a burden on them. She wanted to be independent. And so it's, it was a really good example of where on paper you think that's a ridiculous approach. And when you go to see her, now it was exactly the right thing. So that's that's the, the patient focus. And you, every day when you're trying to make the right decisions, you have to take all of this into account. So uh, she was a really good il- illustration of the complexity of modern medicine. <laughs> Is it also an illustration of the importance of involving consumers in our discussions? Oh, so, so, so true. Absolutely. It's amazing um, when you assume you get it wrong so often. And uh, I do that with my team all the time. We, you know, we go through the notes and we go through all the investigations and we develop our plan. And then I say, okay, now let's actually go see the patient and see what they actually want. And um, it's amazing how often you get it wrong just by looking at you know the medical problem in isolation from the person so it's always a really good lesson for the team to um, make sure that you relate your plans to the patient. Liz is there one area of focus of the reform that you are discovering as a really exciting opportunity for us as a system as a state? Yes absolutely there is Um, I mean there are lots of things on the go and amazing innovations and evidence of good practice across the state that will definitely leverage off. The thing that really excites me is the concept of collaborative commissioning and this is where uh, looking at co-design with the consumer, the GP, the hospital specialists in a, in a specific geographical area and working out what good care in that area with the resources that they have looks like and how do you connect it all up and how do you bring together the state and the Commonwealth to join forces in supporting that model and funding that model because often our systems don't line up, the funding isn't supporting the care pathway that consumers or patients expect and often there are gaps in terms of resources locally that um, allow you to deliver that good care. So being able to design it locally with the consumer at the centre of it is really exciting. So it's happening across a number of places in New South Wales. They're a couple of years in and uh, when I went down to see what they were doing, that was one thing that really I thought we have to start this in Queensland. Liz, what are some of the timelines for change expected through the reform work? Yeah, funny, on my first day, I was asked what I was going to do with ambulance ramping. <laughs> so we had to very firmly hold to the fact that this is reform and it's we're talking about you know a 10-year horizon. So if we really want to get in and talk about the fundamental challenges that we have in our health system, we, we can't turn that on a dime. And so it's these are not the tactical operational responses that you might have to try and tweak the system. This is really trying to get in and redesign it. So we definitely have the long game in mind, not the short game. Although we would hope that we will get returns, you know, in the short term as well in terms of benefits for patients and the system. Liz, this might be a a very big question given you've been in the role for four or five months only, but what is your vision for Queensland's health system? Wow, that is a big question, isn't it? (laughs) When I talk to patients or consumers, what I see is a really fragmented system that's very um, episodic and reactive. And I would love to think that in Queensland we could actually have a, a much more proactive, coordinated, connected, integrated system that 
does um, respond to patient needs. Uh, and I think in a nutshell, that's really what I would love to see. And um, we have lots of challenges in terms of the workforce and the, you know, the funding and the infrastructure to try and, um, you know, that will impact on, on our ability to deliver that. But I think that's really the, the core of what good medicine or the good health system should look like. Lisa, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Best of luck with the reform work. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you.